Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, where we draw from the words of Romans 1514 to encourage all Christians that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, Curtis Solomon. Welcome back to 1514. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. If you're listening on our podcast, thanks for doing that. And if you're watching on the video blog, hope you enjoy that there. Uh, If you are listening on our podcast, I'd like to encourage you, if you've never visited our website, to check out the Biblical Counseling Coalition at www.biblicalcounselingcoalition.org. It's a great place to find resources, articles, book reviews uh, to help those who are struggling with different areas of life and also to equip counselors. Today, I have a a special guest and friend who is maybe unfamiliar to the biblical counseling world, but is a a great uh, person who has given a lot of energy and effort into how God's Word helps those specifically struggling with post-traumatic stress. Uh, Chad Robichaux is our guest, and he is the founder and CEO of uh, the Mighty Oaks Foundation, which runs the Mighty Oaks Warrior Programs. Chad is a former Force Recon Marine and DOD contractor with over eight deployments in Afghanistan. He's a former law enforcement officer and former mixed martial arts champion. And I don't get the off, often get the chance to say all those about my guests. So Chad, welcome. Thanks for being here today. No, thanks for having me on. And thanks for the work that you guys are doing as well. Oh, thank you. It's our privilege. And uh, thank you for the work that you're doing. And we get to share a little bit about that here today. And I'm excited about that. So Chad, could you just begin by introducing us to yourself and your family? Yeah, well, uh, my, uh, my name is Chad Robichaud, like you mentioned, but I, um, I'm married to Kathy, uh, 22 years now. And I have three uh, incredible kids. Uh, Hunter is 20 years old. Haley's 19. And uh, Hayden is 17 years old. He's, He's still a senior in high school. And uh, my daughter Haley goes to Church of the Highlands Bible College in Birmingham, Alabama. And my my son Hunter is also uh, the oldest one. He's in Marine Corps Reservist, and he's also a uh, he's he's also going to Calvary Chapel Bible College, pursuing a uh, pastoral uh, certification there. Oh, that's fantastic! I didn't realize your kids were going to Bible college. It's great to hear. Uh, so, Chad, tell us a little bit about your testimony and how that led you to found the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Yeah, well, like many of the people we help at Mighty Oaks uh, who are coming home struggling with you know, post-traumatic stress, uh, the ideations to take their life, if you know the suicide rate is over 20 a day, uh, divorce rates are in some some demographics like Campellan, for example, is over 80%. Uh, you know, uh, I, I faced those same struggles when I came home from the last deployment. I did, a, did eight deployments and... Uh, when I first went to Afghanistan, I feel like I was really uh, mentally and physically prepared to do my job, but I didn't have the, uh, the framework to understand what it meant to be spiritually prepared. And uh, I think that uh, that led me to make some very uh, intentional decisions that almost cost me everything in my life. I, I went into Afghanistan believing the, believing the lie that you couldn't do a job as a warrior and as a man of God at the same time, the two great coexist. So I felt like I had to make a really intentional choice to choose to uh, to be a warrior and not be this man of morality or Christianity or all these kind of church people that I, that I saw. And, um, you know, I had the word Christian stamped on my dog tag, but that was my extent of my, of my faith. I went to church on Sundays, but to be honest, I probably went to church on Sundays more as a manipulating factor to control my family and make sure I had a, a loyal and faithful wife. Um kids that were going to Sunday school, but, you know, as far as taking a deep dive into understanding 
a relationship with God. I just wasn't doing that. So when I got to a place like Afghanistan and posted that choice, it was really easy for me to choose. You know, I'm going to be a warrior. I'm not, I can do this later. Maybe I can do this faith thing when I get older. And, um, and so I tried to do it without God. And, uh, you know, Afghanistan is a, a pretty rough place. Uh, a lot of evil there. Um, you, you almost can just sense the presence of evil in the culture of Afghanistan. And I remember my wife used to call in while I was there and she'd say, I'm praying for you. And like, what are you praying for me for? Like, you know, it's just like, God's not even here. Like in this place, there's no God here. Like you should see this place. And uh, I would tell, tell my wife not to pray for me. And just kind of an example of how really kind of cold my heart was. And I believe without having God in my heart in a place like that, it left a gaping hole that eventually was filled with you know, hate and rage and anger and real bitterness, very cynical towards everything. And, um, and that, uh, that intensity that I had to do my job, because it was very intention, intense in my job, uh, when I take it home with me, it would just manifest in uh, anger and frustration. And you know, I'd, be in, I'd be in deployment in Afghanistan, and then 24 hours later, I'd be home with my wife and children. And it wasn't like I could just kind of flip a switch and go back to being husband and, and dad, you know, Mr. Rogers, like your friendly neighbor. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just couldn't, I couldn't do that. And, but when I was in Afghanistan, it felt like that intensity, that anger served me well. So I felt more comfortable being in Afghanistan. Everyone I worked with was the same way. So, you know, if you had kind of outburst behaviors, no one cared. Everybody kind of laughed at, you know, everybody, that was just a normal life, but it didn't fit in my home. So it really caused a division in me in my home, not to mention, uh, obviously I was, you know, hurting the people I loved uh, with my behaviors and anger and, and uh, everyone's in, in my home was walking the eggshells. My wife and children scared me. And so, uh, you know, uh, that behavior was the norm for several years, but eventually the anger turned into anxiety. And that's really what began the, the very real problems for me. Because when the anxiety started to hit me, uh, my pride uh, helped me from, uh, stopped me from, getting the help that I needed. My arms would go numb. My face and cheeks would go numb. My throat felt like it was swelling. So I, was having phys- I felt like I was having phys- physiological symptoms of uh, going insane. I didn't know my PTSD. I didn't know what it was. I just felt like I was losing my mind. And, uh, and I felt like I was about to just like have a nervous breakdown at any moment. But I didn't want to say anything because I knew if I said something, the guys I worked with would think I was weak. Um, and that wasn't a fear. That was a reality. They would have in, in um, and probably ostracized, I would be immediately ostracized. And so I just kind of pushed it down and kept doing my job. And, uh, and it worked for the most part, but, uh, it, the symptoms got worse and I started having lapses of memory for short periods of time. And then my last, uh, my last time overseas, I had a, a two week gap that I couldn't remember, a real, very foggy memory of the last two weeks. And, uh, I knew that I didn't only put myself in danger, but I put other people in danger and I had to say something. And so I did. And when I did, I was uh, brought home. Um, I was removed from my job and seen a psychologist and was diagnosed with PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, like I said, I had never really under- knew what it was. I didn't even understand what it was when I was diagnosed with it. I just knew that, uh, you know, I was, in a real, I was in a real bad shape. I mean, one, I had been diagnosed with this thing that to me was, you know, I felt like if I did anything, uh, exercise or I felt like I was going to die at any moment. I felt like if I got my heart rate elevated, I would have a heart attack. And so I felt like it was a real imminent sense of doom 
physically in my body. And then mentally, I just felt like I was, I was losing my mind. And I was uh, terrified of uh, to even express how bad I actually was. So I had that going on. And then on top of that, I thought I was in this most, I was doing this most important job in the war on terror. I thought I was like, you know, I thought I was like in the, you know, most incredible moment that could have been done for me. The, the, what I was doing in Afghanistan was like a football player playing in the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, hmm. like, but like that was my moment. And I was pulled out in the middle of halftime and told I couldn't play anymore. And yeah. so my pride was uh, crushed, and I was very ashamed um, because I felt like I failed at something I really believed was important. And um, and uh, so I didn't know what to do next. And that's when um, that's when my wife, and my counselor, uh, convinced me to get on wrestling mats. I did, I did jujitsu and which is a wrestling martial art and wrestling and wrestling. And I had already been a professional fighter. So I'd done that my whole life. So they thought it'd be really good for me to engage in. And I'll tell you when, when I got on those mats the first time, uh, I couldn't think about anything else. You know, you couldn't think about Afghanistan or your buddy's going to choke you, <laughs> choke you if you're not paying attention. So you have to pay attention. You have mine has to be engaged. And I felt like I found the cure. I really did. I, I, mm-hmm. I, and I, this is what I need to do. I need to stay on these wrestling mats all day, every day when I have a problem, I need to come to these wrestling mats. And it was no different to me than, than if I would have took a, a sip of whiskey and it would have worked for me and I would start drinking because I clung in that bottle, I clung in those wrestling mats while I wasn't struggling with alcohol or drugs. That was kind of my drug of choice. And, you know, I believe physical activities can be very important for someone healing. And I know you guys, um, do a lot of counseling and, and, and uh, at the Pitbull Counseling Coalition, but I, I do I do believe that physical activities are a way, uh, you know, accompany other things to get well. Um, however, I took something that could have been good for me and I totally abused it. You know, I took it out of context. I would spend 10, 12 hours a day training on those mats, not doing anything else to get well, and I was never I was never getting better. I was just uh, taking. Putting a bandaid on a on a gushing bullet hole and eventually put up with me. And you had you had shared, uh, I failed to mention earlier that Chad's written a few books and your latest latest book, uh, An Unfair Advantage, recently came out and it's a fantastic, fantastic read. Um, shares a lot of your testimony. You mix in stories from your experience in F, in the military as well as in, in professional fighting. So it makes it not only uh, informative but interesting and, and really keeps the readers going. So I really encourage that. And, and you share more about your testimony in there. And I've also been on I Am, I Am Second, the video there about you. you. You moved from Afghanistan to trying to really trying to solve your problems with post-traumatic stress through Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighting. And you became wildly successful in the, in the sense of not only a top level fighter fighting in some of the biggest stages in mixed martial arts as well as a uh, training your your school in texas exploded but all the time what was going on in the background with you and your family yeah it's a you know the success of mma was i always say it was like a fake facade of success because on the surface it looked like we not only had everything together but everything anybody would have wanted you know i had we were making we were making really good money we had a lot of uh kind of attention you know, fame, if you want to call it fame, but there was a lot of, uh, things around me that someone from the outside might've looked at it and said, well, this guy's got it together, but that wasn't the case at all. I mean, uh, underneath that, that, uh, that shell was a, still a guy who was struggling with panic attacks almost on a daily basis, uh, anger outbursts because I couldn't, 
you know, get control of my, uh, my emotions. And my family was, uh, was just in shambles. My, my wife was, my wife was, uh, just done. Our marriage was dead. Uh, our, my children were scared of me and we were just at a broken home. You know, I, we, most nights I'd sp- spend in separate bedrooms for my wife, sometimes in separate places. I'd sleep at our gym or someone else's house or sometimes in another bedroom. And uh, when I was in my own bed, uh, you know, my wife's back would be turned to me. I was, and uh, our, our marriage was just dead and, um, and wasn't doing anything to fix it. And so it was inevitable, you know, that, that uh, it was going to be, you know, a catastrophic crash at some point. It was, I walked out of our marriage. Uh, I, I uh, entered into relationships with the women. I didn't care, like, if my wife knew or not. I was just really emotionally numb to anything, any mm-hmm. consequences. Or, or, uh, and so I uh, made a decision to divorce. My wife and I sold our home. We moved in separate apartments. And uh, it was really that time when I kind of had enough time to pause and realize the damage I had done. Not to myself. I don't think I realized that at the time, but to others. Mm-hmm. I realized that, uh, you know, while I had blamed everyone else, my father was a Marine Vietnam vet, very physically abused childhood and very rough childhood. And then um, my, uh, the way I got out of the military, my wife for never understanding what I've been through, all these things that, you know, probably everyone else says when they go through something like that, right? Blaming everyone else around me. And I came to the conclusion and realizing that, you know, I was the problem. It was me. I was the common denominator. When I made that conclusion, what I realized was that um, while my family might be sad without me, they'd be better off. Hmm. When I that's the tragic uh, and kind of hopeless point that 20 plus veterans get to every day is not that they want to escape their own pain, but that they uh, have caused so much damage around them that the people around them who they've hurt would be better off. And that's where I was. And I made a decision. I was to take my life. And, uh, and I sat in my closet in my apartment. It was like, you know, I had my pistol and I'm very familiar with, with firearms, particularly at that time. Me and Mark Donald, Navy, he's a Navy SEAL, uh, Navy Cross recipient, Silver Star recipient, Bronze Star. He's, he's an amazing guy. We kind of had a similar uh, storyline in the struggle, and both of us were talking about how it's like this familiar out, familiarity with what a gun could do. You kind of look at this it, like it's like calling you, like I'm the, I'm the answer to your pain, you know, and it's like almost like drawing it to you. And and I remember sitting down in my closet with my pistol and thinking what's going to happen after I do this? Who's going to find me? And I thought my kids would find me and that's mm-hmm. who found me. So it delayed me to uh, make the decision to uh, try to make it look like an accident because I heard that one in three children from a parent that committed suicide would do it as well. I don't know where I heard that from, but that thought was like in my mind and I'm thinking my kids are going to find me. And, um, and so during that, that moment of delay, uh, and I say a moment of delay, we're talking like a two week period. Uh, my wife was having a very different reaction she was going to church every day and she was, she was, and when I say every day, and I mean, not on Sundays, she would go to this church even when no one was there and just, I like, maybe she found peace and comfort there, you know, uh, to go, to go to that building, which, you know, maybe we all know, and she knows that she knows very well that a building doesn't do anything, but I think she just felt some peace in this place. And so she would go there and pray, and pray for me. And people would, uh, tell me about how she would stand in this one particular corner of the building and just, and just pray for me. And she would cry. Hmm. For, with her and she said she was so angry she didn't know how to pray for me she yeah, she would she would say let me god let me see chad the way you see chad let me uh let me love chad the way you love chad let me forgive chad the way you forgave him and uh so 
you know, and I'm the answer prayer to like a power praying wife that prayed for me when I quit. And while I was uh, at that apartment, she came to it. She came there and she, she knocked on the door and she had the divorce papers and she asked me a, a question that changed my life. She asked me um, how I could do everything I did in the military and MMA training for going through all these crazy schools, deployment workups, training for these fights. You know, how I could do all that? And when it came to my family, I quit. And that, that question for me, uh, you know, cut me right to the soul to be called a quitter yeah. uh, and know that she was right. You know, I, I, I quit, I, you know, I had been successful at professional things in my life, but when it came to the most important things, being a husband, being a father, being that, uh, you know, 17 year old kid that had a second chance in life with the military and quit him, I quit on all those things and, uh, most important things. And it was time for me to make a decision to turn things around. Yeah. I'm going to fast forward a little bit after that moment, you really, God got a hold of you using your wife's questions and you went through, you, you started to meet with Dave Toth. Uh, who was a mentor and discipler for you. And he began to really challenge you. And you went through just a year of discipleship to really overcome this. And that was after you had written up a plan and said, this is, you know, this is my battle plan. This is how I'm going to overcome this. And you're used to doing op boards and you wrote it out, had all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed and you hand it to him. And he says, you're going to, you're going to end up right back where you were. This is going to fail. Yeah. And, and uh, he challenged you because there's no God in the, in your, in your plan. And, and you said that really struck you. And then he began that discipleship process. And then as you began to see growth and overcoming, not just uh, post-traumatic stress, but all these other things that have been falling apart in your life, your marriage, your parenting, all those things. And he really just walked you through that plan. You, you said, I'm going to pay this forward to other people. And, and that's really where Mighty Oaks um, came from. So can you tell people a little bit about what is the, Focusing in on the legacy program, what is the Mighty Oaks Warrior programs and what do they do? Well, it's really what it was Steve tells, by the way. It's it's really what Steve did for for me and what my wife did for me and what God did for me. You know, we uh, it, my wife challenged me. Steve mentored and discipled me with to be the man the guy created me to be. You know, and God has a second chance for us all. And uh we took that process that I went through in a in a year period and really crunched it down to six days. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I always get compliments of being the, uh, founder of Mighty Oaks, but the truth was I was the first student and, uh, it took me longer. Most guys take six days. It took me a whole year. So, uh, you know, we, um, we really, we really able to, um, do that first part well because of who we are. We able to challenge the guys like Kathy challenged me. And most of the guys who come to our program have been, uh, have seen counselors. They've tried a lot of other things and, we have a saying in Mighty Oaks, you know, if what you're doing is working, why not try something different? You know, I did. Most of them have tried pills, counseling, jujitsu, other things to get better and nothing works. So we come to this moment in our life where we have to try something different. And that's what Mighty Oaks really offers. That something different, which just so happens to be the right way, the only way to, to escape any hardships. And that's by being the people that God created us to be and making a decision to align our lives with, uh, with his will for our lives. And that's what we have, um, done uh, to develop the mighty oaks program the legacy program how we do it in six days is uh kind of the question that we always get you know guys go to six-month inpatient programs nothing changes when they go to these clinical programs they come to us for six days and they many of them make a decision to radically change their lives and do so afterwards you know so how's it happen in six days and my response always is and is today it's not six days it's uh or, or six months it's one moment 
in the moment that a man or woman makes a decision to step out of their own kind of path of destruction and step into the will of God. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I had the, I had the privilege of going through a legacy program, uh, back in May and, uh, just full disclosure, I'm, I'm doing a study on the Mighty Oaks program. Thanks for allowing me to do that. And it's, it's been fascinating to see not only the results. I mean, you talked about the statistic, you know, over 20 veterans a day commit suicide. A couple of years ago, it was 22. And then the, the more recent study by the VA says 20. Um, but what, people, one, I hope that that's decreasing partially because of Mighty Oaks program, because with that stat out there, you guys have had an amazing success with almost 1500 people coming through the program and not a single suicide and all the alumni. Um, that in and of itself speaks volumes of, of the effectiveness of the program. Um, but in, in, in the study that I've been doing just in the early analysis of the data that we've received so far, uh, we've seen 60, you've seen 66% of those participating in the survey have a, a, what's known as a clinically significant reduction in their post-traumatic stress symptoms. Um, but what's interesting when people hear that it's, it's phenomenal, it's great success, but the, what's interesting and challenging to people is what the program actually consists of. Can you tell us, give us a, a brief summary of the outline of the week that somebody's going to go through in six days at a legacy program? Yeah, we have a so we have uh, fourteen core topics, and uh, and really we we deal with t- the topics are or everyday life, you know, because you know you can have the best clinical counselor in in, in the world, but uh, it's the, what makes the difference is the everyday choices you make, and we really understand that uh, on a practical level, and, and feel like the guys resonate with it on a practical level. So we we're able to, t- to one uh, create an environment of, of transparency through our personal testimonies, being peer to peer. All of our team leaders and all of our staff have either participated in the Mighty, Oak Pro, Mighty Oaks program, and and most of most of them will have had been students, not because they came to be instructors. They have been students because they went to combat, came home, fell in their face, and uh, and found that restoration through Mighty Oaks. So there's a lot of deep deep passion to share what they've discovered with others, and uh, so that first step is really creating environment of transparency, and then we go through these 14 core topics where things like the discipline, character, uh, purity, marriage, legacy, the legacy you can leave behind, how to manage your your uh, resources that God has given you, your time, and how do you view possessions, things like that. And what we have them, the the students do is we have them look at the, the kind of marker, which would be this line in life, which is the, the will of God for your life, which is the biblical blueprint of, you know, being a man or being a woman that God created you to be. And then over here is this, somewhere over here is whatever life you're living and, and then contrast your life to the, if you're living the life you're intended to live. And then once you make a decision that this will actually be better and we know what the decision is going to be, then calibrate your life to that. And then moving forward, as you go out, fall off that line and we all will have an ability and knowledge and insight to recalibrate your life. And not only that, the accountability, everything that comes back to it. So we're really giving people a marker and so that, that really helps with the, the fact that many of our many of our participants that will come to that program aren't Christians. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them would say they either don't believe in God or they're angry at God or don't want anything to do with God, but they're coming to the program merely because they knew so-and-so that came in and helped them, so they're going to leave the God part out. And so we're able to say, hey, that's fine. Uh, you can attempt to do that, but for the sake of instruction, and we need to calibrate your life to something, for the sake of instruction, we're going to calibrate your life to this, which is the biblical blueprint of living. And, uh, and it helped them with their choices because the truth is, you know, whatever they experienced in their life, whether Iraq, Afghanistan, or something in their childhood, the reason they're in a the situation they're in, the reason they come to a place like Mighty Oaks, 
isn't because of the incident as bad, the tragic or heroic as it may have been. The reason they're in the situation they're in is because of the choices they made in response to the incident. And they never lose the ability to choose. But oftentimes, even though they have the power to choose, they don't know what are the right choices and what to align their life to. So we give them that marker through the, through the biblical uh, uh, teachings of the Bible. Yeah, you said in your book, um, however, the downward spiral of my life and marriage wasn't the direct result of historical incidents in my life, but the way I responded to those incidents and where I went to cope, seek comfort, or even escape my feelings. I think that summed up well just the, the fact that this, this thing that people get diagnosed with and labeled with a post-traumatic stress disorder, um, for, a lot of, for a lot of veterans, it becomes an identity and, and an excuse for all right. the troubles that are going on in life. And what, what I really loved about the legacy program is you have 14 core topics, but only one of those topics, like a 45 minute class is called the truth about PTSD. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the class is really, like you said, is a biblical blueprint for manhood or womanhood. If it's a, a women's legacy program. Um, and I think people get kind of astonished by that and think, well, you know, you said people are going through six month clinical counseling programs and seeing no change they come and they hear this is what god has called you to be um this is the purpose of your life your purpose wasn't being a marine it wasn't your identity isn't uh your service in the military your identity isn't post-traumatic stress um it's what god's called you to be and and that that's a huge transformer in that that class even on post-traumatic the truth about ptsd that's one of the reasons we drop the D from the PTSD a lot and just talk about post-traumatic stress is it's, it's not a disorder of uh, some crazy weird reaction that happens to people from facing normal life. It's a natural response to really unnatural circumstances. And, and it's basically just an introduction to neur- the neurology behind PTSD and telling people you're not broken. You're not a freak. This isn't what defines you. Let's put this, this thing that's a part of your life on the shelf where it belongs, not in the center of everything that you are and do. And let's talk about what you are and what you're called to do. Um, and it's just, you could rip that out and hand that the rest of the classes to any men's group at a church or anywhere and say, this is, this is discipleship. Yeah. And it is a discipleship program. You know, and you, you know, you've witnessed it. You know, if we have 40 guys at the ranch, 20 of them would be there for the first time, you know, four mm-hmm. for the second time, four for the third time. And uh, they're, they're, uh, they, they get the program the first time, and we tell them from the beginning, you're not just here to get well. You're, you're here to be in a position one day to help the next guy. Mm-hmm. And then one of the, the great things, I think, about Mighty Oaks is people come with, with all these different problems, but the core, uh, their deepest problem that, that we see in the most commonality, uh, the biggest commonality and problems we see is the, the lack of purpose. Mm-hmm. And when someone can come to a place where they know there's a problem, they're they're in the midst of that problem themselves and they can say, Hey, I could be part of the solution. Uh, many of the guys grab a hold of that and they want to not just get in a position to get better, but help the guy behind them and, uh, and learn from the guy, not 20 years ahead of them, but one, one month removed, you know, this guy was where I was a month ago. And if I get to where he is, then that seems possible. And, uh, yeah. cast hope, it cast hope. And, you know, we don't, none of our guys are taught to, Hey, you have to teach from a position of perfection. No, you just have to teach where you are and uh, tell people where you were, tell people where you, where you are now and but tell people where you're going and, and go there together. Yeah, that's awesome. And so that's one of the components that makes the Mighty Oaks program so effective, I believe, is the, is the peer-to-peer relationship because you have hardened combat veterans. You know, you're a warrior. 
serving warriors and that everybody comes in with this idea that my experience is unique, that nobody else can understand what I've been through. Um, and they're, they're, there's a big shell up, but when they get up and they hear former recon Marines, former Navy SEALs, former P- PJs and other, other guys getting up there that are warriors like they are, who've been there, who've eaten the same dirt as you Marines like to say, um, it cracks that shell open and, and, and it really just exposes the truth of first Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation, no trial has taken you except that which is common to man. And removes that excuse from their, from their life that nobody else has been where I've been. Um, what are some other, some other components? You, you mentioned the purpose, you mentioned the peer to peer. What are some other components of the program that you've found to be primarily effective and helpful for people? Well, I think one of the things you mentioned was the, the PTSD class. And I think a lot of people are astonished that we only spend, you know, one week, one hour on, on, a on a topic of PTSD in a PTSD program. And uh, we do that intentionally, by the way, because um, we don't want to stay on that. We want we want to kind of park park our car on this uh, this problem when we know that that's not the center of the problem. The center of the problem is is, is the choices, is the decisions, and the choice to, to actually get off of that uh, that that marker of being diagnosed as a disordered or a victim. And so, I think one of the biggest one of the biggest components that guys resonate with and actually um, gives them the power to move forward is the understanding of what PTSD is, what it's not, and uh, and that they're not disordered and they're not a victim. And this isn't a permanent thing like like many of them may have believed before that this is something I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life. It's nothing more than like a broken ankle and I can put a, you know, put a bandage on it and, and let it heal for eight weeks and then you know, take it off and, and next and be running again one day. And uh, the, the, the kind of uh, opening of the eyes to realize that is very liberating for, for people and, and it casts a great deal of hope for guys that might feel hopeless. Yeah, that's a big, big component. Some other amazing things are the testimony that Heather gives, um, you know, of her, of her husband's suicide and what the ramifications that has. That's a really powerful moment for guys to 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 fight the lie that if I took my life and my, if I wasn't here, just like you said, you struggled with, if I wasn't here, my life for my family would be better. And Chad, a lot of our audiences is, is are not combat veterans. They're not, may not, may not be veterans at all. And there's a, maybe a hesitancy on their part, a fear that I can't speak into this truth. I can't, you know, part of the reason Mighty Oaks works is because you have combat veterans speaking to combat veterans. But if somebody's not a combat veteran, um, how can they reach out to and minister to somebody who's wrestling with post-traumatic stress? Obviously one would be to encourage them to go to Mighty Oaks. Uh, but, but before that, and then after that, what, what would you say to somebody, um, that, that can help them connect with and minister to somebody in that situation? So, so I think, uh, one of the, you know, to answer that question, that's a question we get a lot, right? Like, how do I, how do I help a combat vet? I care about this issue. I care about veterans or I know one specifically that I'm trying to help. How do I do that when I'm not you know, one of them? And uh, I think one of the things that really resonates with, uh, with guys from my story is uh, it strikes a chord with a lot of veterans is that Steve Toth um, and you know, who mentioned me and how all this started was not a veteran. Matter of fact, he didn't really even know anyone that was in the military. And, um, and the truth was I would have disqualified uh, at that time 
or before that moment, I would disqualify most people that were trying to help me because I would have been like, they don't know where I've been. They don't understand me. They don't know my experience. They and that's how it was with my, my psychologist. And, and the, looking back, my psychologist maybe had, maybe he would have had a lot of wisdom to offer me. I don't know. Uh, it didn't seem like it at the time, but the, but, uh, the, the truth was, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't even given a chance and I wouldn't have gave anyone a chance, but when I hit that rock bottom, I gave Steve a chance and he had a lot to offer and, uh, and he saved my life. And, um, you know, so I think oftentimes it's not the person trying to help that doesn't have the, the insights to offer. It's the veteran themselves who disqualify that person. And so that makes it really difficult. How do you help someone that doesn't want help from you? And uh, I think one is to be a, be able to make sure you can let them know you're available. That that's one. Two is, is seek to understand them. A lot of resources Mighty Oaks puts out for the veterans. If they're not going to read them, then read the resource we put out because we put them out for that reason as well. So people can understand the things that uh, veterans going through. One of the reasons I wrote an unfair advantage was for that, for the the family member, the friend, the caretaker to understand what uh, it may be, may be like on their side. And then, uh, and then two, utilize Mighty Oaks or organizations like Mighty Oaks, especially if you're one of the biblical counselors you have listening. Use us not as a not as an alternative to replace you, but as a, as a caveat to what you're doing. You know, we we actually have the trust of clinical counselors now. Uh, and some of them aren't Christians at all, but they know that Mighty Oaks is really good at getting guys in a position to decide to get well. So if they're counseling someone for months and it's not working and they're not breaking through, they'll send them from the wounded warrior time the Marine Corps to Mighty Oaks, spend a week. We, we put them in a position actually where they want to get better. And now that counseling mm-hmm. is more effective. And so we really uh, could be a great kickstart for somebody that's struggling to get someone to open up and listen. Because one of the things we tell them is, uh, Hey, the, you know, there's all these different resources out there to get better. Um, but you have to be in a position to accept it. Yeah. You're going to stay right where you are. And so we're really good at making, uh, getting guys to make that decision. Yeah. I think that's a great, um, point is that you guys to, to work with the churches, work with the counselors and you guys have a great aftercare program where you're trying to connect people who come through the program with churches, with biblical counselors, with others who can really continue on the discipleship process. Um, Cause just when somebody gets home, life is not going to be all a bed of roses and smelling good. It's going to still be hard. Uh, a couple other resources that Chad mentioned, uh, the, a path to resiliency is a, a, a short booklet that he and Jeremy Stallnecker wrote together. Uh, he and his wife put, a marriage advance, which is the content of their marriage advance program, um, as well as others. So I'd encourage everybody to check out mightyoaksprograms.org. It's a great place. If you're looking for somebody who needs help to get there, they can sign up. Uh, participants don't have to pay. The Mighty Oaks program funds every single participant 100%. So that's a huge benefit. Uh, and Chad, I could go, we could go on and on talking about this issue. I think it's a, a huge passion of both of our hearts and a, a desire to reach out to uh, veterans, active duty service members. But we also recognize that trauma is not a military specific issue. It's a life issue. And, and there are people who struggle with post-traumatic stress from all types of different situ- scenarios and situations. Um, and a lot of the truths that would help somebody in a combat trauma scenario would, would play over to help others as well. So I just encourage everybody to check out an unfair advantage, check out the mighty Oaks podcast. Um, your recent episode with, with Mark, uh, Donald was amazing. And I thought it really 
helped address some of the misperceptions that people have about post-traumatic stress and what, what veterans are struggling with. And you do that as well in, in un, unfair advantage. So like I said, there's a lot more we could talk about, but time is. And coming up, right. We have the, uh, uh, it's not out yet and we haven't even announced it yet, but we can talk about it here because you're familiar with it. The, the truth about PTSD mm-hmm. uh, X book coming out and really just exactly what you talked about, kind of crushing the myths of PTSD, taking the disordered out, taking the victim out and, and challenge you guys to move forward. I'm really excited about that. And also Jeremy's putting out another book on leadership. You guys are turning out books left and right nowadays. So I'm really excited for, for those resources to be, be out there. Um, I want to take some time in the last two minutes of our podcast. We always like to get to know everybody a little bit, our guests. So you ready for two minute favorites, Chad? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So uh, starting the timer now, first question is what is your favorite food? Uh, I love Thai food. All right. What's your favorite candy? Spree's. What's your Spree's. favorite? What'd you say? The Spree's, the, the whole hard candies. <laughs> what's the favorite gift you've ever received? Uh, my children. Hmm. What's the favorite gift you've ever given? Uh, the lessons I've learned to others. What's the favorite? What's your favorite word? My favorite word. Uh, hope. What's your least favorite word? Can't. <laughs> that was easier. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What's your favorite sport? Jiu-jitsu, of course. <laughs> All right. And what's your favorite sports team? Carlson Gracie team. All right. Favorite uh, sports team because it is. I, I got a lot of guys that would disagree. It's not a team. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, just like, uh, yeah, I, I think it is for sure. Um, what's your favorite book of the Bible? Uh, Romans. All right. Favorite non-biblical book, like fiction book. Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield. Okay. Favorite ice cream flavor? Coconut. Favorite quote? Uh, Mark Twain, two most important days in a person's life, the day they're born and the day they find out why. Hmm. Good. What's your favorite restaurant? Uh, not Thai food, but uh, mahogany's in a broken, broken arrow, Oklahoma. All right, that's the Ron Wood every year for a bone in ribeye. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm gonna have to check that out next time I'm in Oklahoma. What's if you had one superpower, what would it be? Flight. What's your favorite, uh, favorite job you've ever had, minus the one you currently have? Uh, being, being a Marine. All right, and okay. If your mother was to describe you in one word, what words would she use? Probably stubborn. (laughs) All right. Well, that takes us to the end of our time. Chad, thanks so much for the time today, but thanks even more so for your testimony and and the work that you're doing to help our nation's heroes and uh, point people to Christ. Thanks, brother. Thanks so much. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to know more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, please visit our website at biblicalcc.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at biblicalcc or find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash biblicalcounselingcoalition. Thanks again for listening.